Hello, everyone. Welcome to Genealogy Adventures. I'm Brian Sheffy. And I'm Donya Williams. How are you guys doing today? Hope you guys are enjoying your Sunday. We know it's a hot, steamy one in the DMV region at the minute. Oh, my God. It is really, really hot outside. But guess what? There's no cicadas. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those days if you have wrinkly shirts, it's so hot and humid out there. I swear to God. I swear it would just it would It would, it would, it would the knock the wrinkles out. right on out. The steam would take it away. So thank you, as always, for spending the next hour with us, wherever you are. And today, this is actually a really good follow-on conversation from what the, Aug, the last Augs presentation we did about how to use newspapers. For Louisiana, yes, yeah, yes. How to use newspapers in your research. Well, I'm not going to say it's going to always happen to you, but every once in a while, you are going to come across a news article that's got some fake news in it that is going to take you on a take you well down a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> so, Afiba, if you wouldn't mind queuing up the the PowerPoint, um, I'm going to go through a doozy of an article that's I spent almost 18 months researching before I found out that most of it was actually not true. Hmm. Um, and I'm not the only one. So this, the article that we that we're going to look at deals with the Weeping Time people. So that's the 440 people who were sold in 1859 in Savannah, Georgia, by Pierce Meese Butler to settle his gambling debts. So 440 people had to pay the price because wow. he put up a bet that he couldn't that he couldn't that he couldn't, couldn't pay. pay. Um, I could not do that with you. I'm so sorry that I couldn't. It was too much. It was way. It, it was too much. I was like, nah. You know, it was enough. Deal. You know, the work we're doing with um. You guys are doing Moses. an awesome job. You mm. guys are doing an awesome job. I just, it was just, ugh. And again, it's such a huge shout out to everyone who's involved. Yeah. Martine Brennan, who brought me into the fold, to the Ajima, um, Georgia Genealogy Group, who've been working on this for years. I mean, these are their ancestors. Um, and everyone who's just been so generous with their time and information, um, the, the, the list can go on and on. But what I wanted to do was to start from the top. I'm not going to read the whole article. Um, I'm just going to cue our producer to, to advance as we're going through the, through the article. So right off the jump, so this was an article that appeared in 1895 or 1894. Now remember, the sale happened in 1859. And for whatever reason, the story that I'm going to walk you through now, this got repeated over and over. This was like a national syndicated story that got repeated like every eight, eight to ten years mm. across the nation. And it's always, it's always entitled The Lost Slave Sale. So straight off the jump, I should have known that there was an issue with the story because it said a thousand Negroes on the block at Savannah. It wasn't a thousand. It was 440. Big difference between 440 yes, and 1,000. Yes, it is. <clears throat> um, but you know, I thought sensationalizing it makes it better, makes, makes it, it better. So I, I gave it a miss. So they go into you know, the top of this story goes into how Pierce Meese Butler died, mm-hmm. uh, kind of his prominence, and so far, so good. Everything's kind of matching. Then, sorry, I need to take my glasses off, talking about how Butler inherited his estates and the enslaved people. And Afiba, if you wouldn't mind going to the next PowerPoint slide. So they actually have the date of the sale correct, 1859. So that kind of gave me more hope that there was going to be some nuggets that I could work with in this story. Mm -hmm. Um, They get the number of people sold wrong. They say that someone bought 440. Well, there was 220 people. So they couldn't have, if there's only, sorry, sorry, they said that they bought 440 families but it was but there was 220 people sorry there was 440 people there was no way that so i just thought it couldn't have been 445 families yeah exactly and then because they would have had to have bought everybody it would have had to have bought everybody and we and all of the researchers who've been researching this for years knew that that wasn't the truth because we just knew that they were just scattered you know people bought them and, and took these people everywhere um, so we're going through saying where some of these people were coming from, like the Congo, which, believe it or not, is true. Not all of them did, but a number of them did, because I have the slave ship manifests okay. that the Bull and the Middleton family were bringing them in from there. So, so far, so good. One kind of major error with the number, but the rest is ticking along. So the along. main error seems to have been with the number of enslaved people that were being sold. For now. For now. For now. Okay. At, at this point in the story. 
So then they start talking about what the white crowd is like. You know, they said it's a bit rough and ready because there were a lot of slave traders who, I guess, using the previous administration's words, weren't the best people. And that that's actually in this article. They're kind of looking down their noses at the, at the slave traders, kind of talking about the boisterousness of them, um, how the enslaved people were feeling. So again, so far, so good. And Afib, if you wouldn't mind going on to the next, the next page. So still, it's, this story is going on about the sale, the whole kind of background performance story of it. <clears throat> so here we go. This is where we start getting into it. And the reason why, and this is going to become more evident as I'm talking through the story, the reason why I wanted to find these people is central to this story are four to five enslaved people who were bought as a group. Okay. And apparently two sisters ended up going to St. Louis, Missouri um, at the time of this article, which meant that, you know, in 1895 article, you should be able to find them right. in the 1880 census. You should. You would think. So I was hoping that this was going to give more clues. So we come to our first player, Colonel Pate. His name is Colonel Thomas Pate of Vicksburg. Mississippi. Well, it doesn't say Mississippi. Okay. It just said Vicksburg. But I'm glad you said that because that was my immediate go-to. That's the only Vicksburg that I'm familiar with. Right. So I'm thinking it's got to be Vicksburg, Mississippi. Okay. So it's saying that in this particular version of the article, it's saying he's taking 220 people. Well, there's 220. You know, he just, he didn't. There, there was just no one who bought that many people. Um, it was announced from the first that no division of families would be permitted and this made the sale less profitable as many of the members were old, meaning the enslaved people, were old or infirm, and to get the good ones, purchasers had to take others less desirable. You can spend a little time, um, and that part is true. Okay. But Pierce Meese Butler said, I do, you know, he arranged everyone by lots. He did his, you know, he felt he did his best to keep family members together, or even if he was splitting families apart, keeping parents with their youngest children and keeping older siblings together, but Mm -hmm. that's, they were put up as lots, and that's how he wanted them sold. Um, It took two days to make a finish, it was actually three, and the proceeds amounted to $303,850,000. Are you serious? That's how much he made? That's how much he made, but he was millions in debt. In today's money, in today's money, he was millions of dollars in debt, which is why he, that, that was the size of his bet. That was the gamble that he made, and he lost. That was, this is the result. Three, over $300,000? Mm-hmm. And then, back then, that's 1859 money. Jesus. It was a huge, huge amount yeah, of money. I, yeah, I could have never done that. So then it's talking about the conditions that the enslaved people were held in. This is a racetrack. So it wasn't really fit for human habitation. So they were held in stalls. So they were held in stalls, pretty much. Um, So it's talking about them, the enslaved people, what they were going through, what they were feeling. And I just realized I left my baseball cap on. So again, apologies for the rather casualness of today. Um, I just left my glasses on, so it's okay. <laughs> I, think just, I, like your, I like your hat. We were just so keen to get into the show today. Yeah. Okay, so we're still kind of going on about the sale. So then we get into it. Tom Pate, which is Colonel Pate, uh-huh. a well-known Vicksburg trader, again thinking it's Mississippi, bought at the sale a man, his two sisters, and wife, with the guarantee that they should not be separated. Disregarding this, he separated. Mm-hmm. Pate sold the sisters to one Pat Somners, a brother, the brother slave trader, and the other to a resident at St. Louis. And from this point, this is where the tale just goes completely. So to that lie. part he did do. He actually did separate them, even though he wasn't supposed to. And that's he did purchase them. All of that part is true. And that's what I was trying to figure out. So what I did, and this is this is going to be a really good kind of genealogy 101 lesson at the same time. So I'm thinking, how do I research Pate and Somners, these mm-hmm. two main players in the story? 
Because this goes on to say that Slumnus found out that the sisters shouldn't have been separated from the other people that were sold. He returned them. He wanted to get his money back. Thomas Pates was like, ah, do one. I'm not paying you a dime. So Pate and Slumnus get into it. Slumnus kills Pate. And then apparently Slomner's sons kill all of Pate's sons. So it's it's like... Um, it's the, the Hatfield and McCoy thing. The Hatfield and the McCoy thing. And there's another story that comes out... Or just out, Edgefield. Or just Sol- Ed- <laughs> well, except this is out of South Carolina. But um, and it, there's a further story that says that Pate's... Sorry, that Slomner's sons pretty much eliminate, eliminated the whole Pate line. Oh my God. So it's taking it to Hatfield versus McCoy and then raising it like a level. So I'm thinking this this has to be verifiable. You should be able to break this story down into different little bits to be able to research. So again, the sale happened in 1859. We've got a Colonel Thomas Pate. Mm-hmm. That's how he's written about. So I'm thinking, and he comes across as a man who's not old, but not young. I just get a feeling that he would have been in his mid to late thirties, maybe early forties. I thinking, was, I, from we, I'm thinking fifties. Could be fifties. Yeah, I'm thinking. I can 50s. go with that. My, mind you, um, Gina Lewis says we don't care about your hat. It's summertime. We're all <laughs> Thank you. So, <laughs> so I'm thinking. Well, you don't become a colonel. You go into the military and you work your way up the ranks, and that takes some time to they go never from enlisted. Yeah, exactly. So I'm thinking. Well, I went to full three. That's the place to go for military, for military records. Right. And I'm thinking, well, he couldn't, it could, the Revolutionary War was just an impossibility because he would have been knocking on 100 by this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was out. I'm thinking, well, it could be the War of 1812. I'm still feeling that his age isn't mapping to that particular conflict very well. Mexican War. But I looked. I looked. There was no, there was no Thomas Pate. Then I thought the, the Mexican-American Mexican, War, Mexican War, which was 1847, 1848, right, right. sometime around there. So I'm again looking through those records, no Colonel Thomas Pate. So I'm like, oh, okay, what do I do now? So then I looked, I fig- found out that Mississippi has an awesome, because again, Vicksburg, I'm assuming it's Mississippi, has an awesome directory of militia records. Awesome. Okay. For those that search Mississippi, you hear that. <laughs> yep. If you go to Google and you type in Mississippi militia records, it will take you straight. There's only one site that has them, and it will take you straight to that site. They had nothing. As a matter of fact, not only did they have nothing, they had no pates serving in the, the no Mississippi. No P-A-T-E's, no, no how Mm-mm. you spell, no, no, no matter how you spelled it, it wasn't coming. It wasn't coming. Because the reason why I wanted to start with Pate was because he had that... Because he's the one that made the purchase. The the original purchase. purchase, And he also supposedly had military service. And I figured between the two, he would be easier. Right. These two men are clearly living in close proximity to each other, at least perhaps the same county. I figured, well, if I can get Pate first, then I can find Somers. He's going to be living somewhere near him. Right. You don't extinguish a male line from another family if you're living in another in another state. That's right. You cannot com- do that. Or in a completely different part That's of the right. state. That's right. So I was striking out. <clears throat> so I thought, well, let me go take a look at the contemporary newspapers, in specifically in Vicksburg, but you know, Mississippi in general, looking for slave traders. So I got all of their adverts. And I started looking for him about 1856, so three years before the sale to a period of about three years afterwards. Okay. So I'm looking for this Thomas Pate, who's a, who's a slave trader. Nothing. Nothing. There is a Pate family who lived in the same county as Vicksburg, but they didn't live in Vicksburg, and they had no Thomases, and there was no one who fit this. So I was exasperated at this point. I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, well, let me see if there's another Vicksburg. There is. There's a Vicksburg in, in Missouri. Wow. Which was a slaveholding state. So I repeated the process all over again. And for those of you who are researching in Missouri, Missouri also has an awesome, awesome state militia website with the records, all of that kind of stuff. No Colonel Thomas Pate. Oh my goodness. So I'm, this just was all a lie. I'm like, you are killing me right now. 
So then someone suggested, so someone else living in South Carolina picked the story up in 18, sorry, 1945. Mm -hmm. And he wrote about it. But he said that Pate came from Virginia. I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me right now? So I did the whole thing all over again Mm -hmm. in Virginia. And I found Pate's and I found Thomas Pate's who did have military service in Indian Wars, but not my Colonel Thomas. And there, were, there was a Somners family living all the way over towards the Tennessee border. Now, the Pates were living more in central Virginia. So they were closer to West Virginia, Tennessee. Yeah, where the Somners were all the way to the other end of Virginia. And I just didn't see the connection, and there was no one called Pat. And you just can't knock out an entire line living that far apart from each other. Exactly. During that time period <coughs> with no car Excuse to drive me. and do it. And, you know, I mean, it just... It's impossible. So I'm pulling my hair out at this point. So I'm figuring you made the connection with the Hatfields versus McCoys. I'm thinking this story was huge. This should have been national press at the very least, or at the minimum, it would make, be in a in a like family history book or a re, you know like a regional history book. Mm-hmm. So I'm on Google Books looking for any books about a Colonel Thomas Pate, Pat Somers. Strike out, strike out, strike out. There's just nothing. The only time you'll ever see those two men's name together is in all the iterations of the article that's on the screen at the minute. That's called Last Slave Trade. Mm-hmm. That is the crazy. only time you see those two together. Because I even tried finding the sisters in St. Louis, thinking, okay, I'm pretty much now disproving most of this story, but at least that part of the story might still be true. So... There's no names, which is really odd because other enslaved people who were sold, their histories were written about and they were named. They were named where they were living, all that kind of stuff. But not these four, and I couldn't understand that. And they also weren't mapping with the list of enslaved people who were sold that all of us were working from. Okay. Because we'd already worked out, I think, the vast majority of how people were interrelated amongst that group. And there just wasn't really anything sitting with a brother and two sisters. There just wasn't. So went to St. Louis, Missouri, did the 1870 census, 1880 census, looking for women who were born around 1830, thinking they might have been in their, in their 20s or like late teens when they, were, when they were sold, who were born in Georgia but living in St. Louis. You'd be amazed at how many women fit that criteria. I wouldn't. But none of them, none of their names matched the names of people who, who were sold on that, in that 1859 sold list. So at that point, I'm like, this is complete fabrication. Now, there may be four people, and the genesis of that story may be true, but there's so many inaccuracies in the reporting, like that thousand people right. in the headline, that we'll never know who they are. So these are four people that you probably will never find. That we'll never find. Or we That's won't so sad. Or we won't find them this way. And there's a lot of people who've been working from this article trying to find these four people for decades. That's We're so talking. sad. That's so sad. Oh my that's sad. Mm-hmm. Well, my fa- I think for me, the fake stories for me, because again, I did not get into that and this is why. and um but for me the fake stuff really comes about with obituaries because just like we we talked about it with um augs louisiana and how that as far as how obituaries help they can also hinder Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because if 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 that's not your child why are you putting that child under your thing So for those of you who are probably new to the show, because Donnie and I, speak, we speak about this quite often. Oh, my God. Our family and parts of our family in Edgefield, and it's lovely. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's really lovely that they had those close family relationships, whether mm-hmm. they were step, stepbrothers and sisters, half brothers. And, if, you were a sibling, if you were growing up in that household if as a sibling. you were a sibling, you were a sibling. You were a sibling. It's not even growing up in the household. If you were a sibling, you were a sibling. My as far as what we found this morning with Loretta, mm-hmm. he wasn't growing. Johnny wasn't growing up in the household. He was never in William and Tennessee's household. That's true. And but yet those siblings, when 
Every sibling died. Somebody wrote in, made sure that Johnny was listed as one of their brothers, and he was a Harrison. I might know who he was, yeah. but the mama didn't list him, and the daddy wasn't. He wasn't listed under the daddy's um thing. So you're looking at this like, whose kid is this? Whose child is this? And you have to go through all of this different stuff to actually try to figure out and find whose kid it is. Just to learn that somebody had an outside kid when they were very, very young. No cheating involved. Mm -hmm. Just an outside kid when they were very, very young and they didn't take care of him. Now, I don't know if he didn't take care of him. I don't know if he knew about him until later on. But the bottom line is, is that because you're constantly seeing these names listed and you're like, well, who is it connected to? When I tell you guys, I was up for six hours for one person today. Six hours on one person. I love my cousin Loretta. Even though she, I, I tell her I'm going to unfriend her, I love my cousin Loretta because she came, she stepped in, she woke up with my spoiled tail. Because I did. I called her and I said, you don't, you, you're not up. You need to get up. And she said, who says I'm not up? Me, because you have not responded. I need you to respond to me. <laughs> so that's what that was about. And then she Im- immediately got up, pulled out her computer, and we started working. She worked for four hours. So it was just amazing that this whole information in, this, in, in the paper, not that it was fake, but it wasn't understandable. Or accurate. Or accurate, too. You know, you're like, well... And I get why it wasn't accurate. Because he wasn't... He, maybe he didn't know, or... Yeah, I mean, and, and we, we get that with that particular family, Lula. Well, I was going to mention I was going to mention Lula Talbert. Oh. So we have an ancestral relation by the name of Eula Talbert who married twice. Mm. Both of her husbands married twice. In every iteration, they're all have well, she only had children by one of her husbands, but the two husbands and their previous wives had children. So there's a whole lot of half siblings, stepkids, and there were a lot of them. I think there's Am I exaggerating if I say there's about 30 kids involved? I think told? about 20. I'm going to say 20. Because Nathaniel had 10 on his own. That's true. And now, and, shoot. So we're reading all of these obituaries. Oh, my and God. And there were so many obituaries where they're all calling each other. Mom. Well, they're calling her mom, even though she wasn't for most of them, for Everybody. the vast majority of them. And they're also referring to their siblings as their siblings rather than step-sibling, half-sibling. Every last one of them called her mom. Mom. And then every obituary, there was another child that was named, that was on a census record that we had to stop and figure out who they were. And on top of that, there were a lot of girls involved. And their names were appearing in the obituary under their married name. Now, we've just said there was three separate groups of cut three couples four couples involved so now you have a girl a daughter that belongs to someone and you have to figure out what her maiden name right which couple she actually if this is sounding like a rubik's cube it it kind of it kind of was it was it was an actual (laughs) puzzle and i have a headache just thinking about it but it it was one of the biggest mess that we ever dealt with and loretta again Brian and myself for an entire weekend. And it was an entire weekend. Yeah, every day, every day, starting Friday evening. I think that's when I stopped working on them, working on my tree on the evenings. Hmm. I think that's when I stopped because um, from starting from that Friday evening when people were home from work and this, that, and the third, we started then, may have gotten off the phone around 10 o'clock at night. Woke up Saturday morning, got back on it again. By the afternoon, we had figured out some of the stuff. And then I went on our fa- on our family page and told them, don't marry each other no more. I mean, I, I had attitude. I was real. Just oh, at- that's right. Because everyone who was getting married out of all of those yeah. couples, they were all related to each they other. They were all marrying each other. Everybody yeah. was marrying each other. So I was like, don't marry each other no more. Stop marrying your family. Get over it. 
Okay. It's done. Learn who we are and stop marrying each other. I was livid. And then we woke up Sunday morning and we had to finish it. And it was literally, I think it, I think it went into Monday. I think it did. I think it went into a Monday. And that, that when we finally finished that, I think all three of us vowed that we would never look at Eula again. Which is horrible because I do get the sense that she really was a genuinely lovely she woman. She was a beautiful woman to take care of all of those children who was not hers. But ask me, do I care? But between <laughs> your headache, Loretta's headache, my gray hairs. Yeah, once once we untangled that Gertian knot, that was kind of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Crystal says... Right, that is so. You guys, you see me holding my phone. I don't have my computer, so I can't see your comments. So I'm looking at them through my phone. And um, Crystal said, "That is my that's that is what my dad and his siblings said. We honored that until the family historian shook things up. So she must be talking about when things got changed. <laughs> and yeah, and that's what we do. We shake we shake things up in this in this group." But it's also how we research because part of what you were doing when you were researching Elijah Fleming, mm. a.k.a. John Yeldell, was just trying to get the chronology of events yeah. correct. It's mandatory to, to, to do that. Um, because, again, this this was a national story. In, in his lifetime, he was as famous, if not more famous, than, than uh, Frederick Douglass. Uh, someone, someone actually said that. I can't oh, remember. Oh, no. The, National, the New York Times said that. The New York Times said they that. They actually, the name of his, um, the name of the article was the most talked of colored man in the land. That's the truth. So part of the problem that Donya experienced <laughs> with that was. I'm laughing because Loretta said Eula is a bad word. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> She's not lying, y'all. You guys, I'm telling you, Loretta is on. She's on mm. watching the show, and she just said Eula is a bad word, and it is just a bad <laughs> word. But she's a beautiful woman yeah. who took care of twenty or twenty plus children, and and all of them loved her enough to be included. That when she died on her on her um, obituary. Every last one, I'm like, you better include me because that was my mama too. Mm-hmm. You better include me because that was my mama too. And you do, you get a real sense of the, in the obituaries. They loved that. her. Yeah, you you felt the love through the obituary, but I, I don't I don't even care. Mm. <laughs> because part of the way that we work as researchers is whether it's mental or on paper, working out a kind of definitive timeline of events in a person's life. And because you were actually writing about Elijah. You had to nail that down because at first we were confused as to what voter, well, what race riot massacre, whatever you want to call it. Right. It was. Right. Then because this was, again, a nationally syndicated story. Right. There was something about the dates that was off. So basically what was going on. Oh, yes, that was a lie, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. So, okay. The John Yeldale story. Basically, South Carolina wanted to keep this hidden. And, and they still keep it hidden. They do not talk about it. They do not deal with it. There are two riots that happened. One happened in, um, well, riot massacre, however you want to call it. They're calling it riots for now until it's found out about. And then it'll be a massacre. So uh, John Yeldell's particular incident happened in Parksville. But then there was one that happened in 1898, which was the Essex with Essex Harrison. And that was the Phoenix riot. They talk about that one to this day. They actually do different. um, We have family members that actually participate in memorials for Mm -hmm. the Phoenix riot and the people or the Phoenix massacre, however you want to name it. Um, They participate in memorials about it and all that kind of stuff. But if you go and you try to find out about the Parksville riot, they don't know what you're talking about. Or they'll just get real quiet and say, okay, I'll get that for you, and you'll never see it. Mm. Or you'll never get the information. Um, But John Yeldell basically... Notice, I'm saying John Yeldell while Brian called him Elijah Fleming. Well, there's a reason for all of that, because... His name was John Yeldell. He was trying to, there was a voter registration drive that was going on in so many words, trying to keep it 
to make sure you guys understand what I'm talking about, I'm going to put it into this century. It was a voter registration drive, and they were really trying to just make sure that all of the black people were registered mm. to vote. And that's that's it. That's all they were trying to do. But you had some white people during that time period that just was not in about letting people vote, register. So he was approached by a man who owned a store He was who was also a judge. And he was talking to him and asking him, why were you making all this noise, this, that, and the third, you know, all different types of conversation, you know, just really kind of aggressive to him. So aggressive to the point that he looked at John at one point and he was like, are you, in so many words, are you packing? That's what he asked him. And my family being, well, let me rephrase that, Edgefield people being the way that they are, he wasn't scared. He pulled his jacket up and said, he never scared. Yeah, I'm packing. But I'm also going to say that I get the impression that the vast majority, and by that I mean more than 90% of the adult population at Edgefield was was packing. packing. Oh, yeah, most definitely. All of Edgefield, (laughs) they didn't play games. So he was like, "Um, yes, I am. And then he left. Well, when he left, the judge, I can't think of his name, Natan. Natan did that part of the work. Um, cause she was doing a whole thing about mm-hmm. the dark corner, but, um, he got a, a posse together and he was like, you know what? They were rowdy. They were this, they were that. I'm gonna need you to arrest them. And one of the people that he deputized was a man by the last name Blackwell. One thing led to another, this little posse went up to John and the rest of the guys that he was with, with the voter registration and a riot broke out a shootout a firefight a whatever you want to call it it went in and they wouldn't they were not having it and it was a whole big deal some of the um black men got caught one man was killed that was blackwell when the black men that got caught the one that didn't get caught was john yeldale he did not get caught and because he didn't get caught He got away and he got away and he was hiding and he hid in plain sight in Columbia, South Carolina for like a year. And then he felt uncomfortable and then he left Columbia and then he ended up in Pennsylvania. And while in Pennsylvania, he had a store and he did his thing. He went to school. He did his thing. He also changed his name to the Reverend Elijah Fleming. So we had to figure out what in the world is going on here. We had to first find out if John Yeldale and Elijah Fleming were the same people. Mm-hmm. We had to find John Yeldale and find him and realize that he disappeared after 1880. We had to figure that out. Then we had to see if if the Reverend Elijah Fleming actually existed before 1900. Mm-hmm. These things, they left that up to me. <laughs> and, and, you know, they, they left that up to me. And I'm not mad about it because I had to do it. And it was my family, and, and that was fine. They were like, well, I, I don't know who we're looking for. And I'm like, I got it. So we ended up, you know, figuring all I, I ended up figuring it out that Elijah Fleming and John Yeldale were the same people. He had dropped, John Yeldell dropped his name, everything, ended up in Pennsylvania as the Reverend Elijah Fleming. Um, I was going to say about five years went past, and next thing you know, there's a sheriff sitting in the church congregation waiting for the now Reverend Elijah Fleming to step down off the pulpit to arrest him. And he immediately said, I'm not who you're talking about. But you look like him because here's a picture. So I'm trying to figure it out. Now remember, guys, where he is is not racist to a certain degree. You know, they're very supportive of black people moving up in the world. So, they, you know, this was a whole big deal. Um, One thing led to another. They were like... Uh, a message was sent back to South Carolina. And when the message was sent back to South Carolina, they say, yes, that's, that's him. Hold him. They were like, well, we can only hold him for so many days. So y'all better figure it out and get down there as quickly as you can. 
you know, come up. You need to get here as quickly as you can because if you're not here, let's say three days, he gone. We, we're legal. We're going to do what we have to do. Well, they got there. And I'm telling y'all, everything that I am saying to you is a is in is in the newspaper. Everything. It read like a movie. It was the best thing ever. I swear I was eating popcorn while I was reading it because it was amazing. So I'm sitting there and I'm I, I was eating popcorn. I'm like, okay, so is this John or not? Nah? Because now <laughs> I'm like, well, what's going to happen? So the sheriffs from South Carolina come in and they walk straight one of them and he was a, a therm, he was a strong yes his last yes. name was strong and he walked straight up to him and he in verbatim john yeldell i know you anywhere and that started an entire frenzy and that's when you started to find out that when they sent the information to the pittsburgh or pennsylvania people they lied and said that it actually happened in 1886 when in actuality the parksville riot happened in 1884 which is what really threw us off which is where it threw us off and they were because they were trying to make sure that they get him and they wanted to get this guy because he was eluding them and they could not get him and the way that they found him they were harassing the yeldells in south carolina black and white in my opinion and um I really believe that the harassment that they that was received by those families is why my Yeldale family is so elusive today. I, I, I believe that. But all of this is because of the fact that they lied. And they said, oh, it, it happened in 1886. This is when it was. We have the right to get him right now. Oh, no, you don't. This happened in 1884. So there was a whole fight that included almost the president of the United States almost got involved. He did. But why, why do you think the state of South Carolina actually threw that date off? Why, why were they two years away from the actual real year of the event? What's the word? Um, a FIBA. What's the word that I'm looking for? When, when, it's, uh, when they don't want it to go away. When, when someone is arrested... Oh, it's statute of limitations. Statute of limitations. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, statute, statute. I think it was statute of limitations that they were trying to fight against, but it was five years, so it wasn't. They they were fine, but they wanted to make sure they were fine, so they lied and said eighteen eighty six. And this is where it gets even crazier because you've spent years. Trying to get a hold of those court records. Oh, they won't give them to me. And they won't give them to you. Yeah, I can't get those court records for nothing. Nothing in the world. But I know it existed. I know it happened. That's the good thing. It's not like your particular situation with the the weeping time. We know that this happened because we were blood connected to this man. Mm. Um, we have families that are connected to we we followed. We followed him. Yeah. And we, we were able to find him. And we're still finding him. He's so elusive <laughs> that it took us up to, like, what, about two years ago before we started finding out his, uh, he, who he met, other people that he had married and, mm-hmm. and things. Me, me more and Loretta chil- again. More children. More children. I mean, it was amazing. It was amazing. The story itself was amazing. But again, even something as slight as a year discrepancy really threw us off because we were trying to map what happened in his life between leaving South Carolina, going to Wilberforce University. We were even trying to figure out when he went to Wilberforce University. That's still things that's kind of in the wind. We're still trying Mm -hmm. to get. Where did he get his his divinity degree? But we were mapping out the progression from South Carolina to Wilberforce University to, I think it was Pittsburgh, it's, to Pitt, to Pittsburgh. Yeah, because he finally ended up in, in, no, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Scranton, that was it. Pennsylvania. The thing about him is, on the 1870 census, he is listed as illiterate. Mm-hmm. He can't read, he can't write, he can't do all of these things. So, 1880, same thing. Can't read, can't write, do any of those things. So, I need y'all to think about this, Okay. 1880 census, can't read, can't write, none of that. Totally illiterate. 1884, the the entire incident happens. 1889, you find him. This man has owned a store. 
to put himself through school. He's gone to school. He's graduated from school. He's a minister now. He's intelligent as ever. This happened in a five-year period. I'll say, I'll even give it a nine-year period because 1880, Mm -hmm. he was still considered illiterate. But by 1884, he was running the voter registration thing, so he wasn't Mm. illiterate. You know what I mean? When you think about it. But even something as simple as when, like I said, we were trying to plot that timeline. We were working from what the South Carolina papers were saying. Right. And we're like, well, if if they said that this happened in 1886, then I don't understand how this happened by, by this census and how this happened by... Those years weren't lining up the way that they the way that they should. And what started making what started making it make sense was when the journalists started interviewing white people, and the white people started telling the truth. That's when it was really you were like, "Get out! They're helping," and they were like, "Nah, this happened in 1884." They were the ones that were saying. That it actually happened in 1884. Mm. This was when this actually occurred, this whole thing. And this was why it occurred. Now, let me tell y'all why it actually occurred, how it really kicked off. Yes, the voter registration did happen. But the whole thing kicked off because there were some black people going to church. And as they, they had gone to church, and as they came back out of church, they were being harassed. That's how that started. That's how the whole thing started. Mm-hmm. It really didn't have anything to do with the voter registration. Now, those black folks from church might have gone to register after church. You know, the pastor probably said, make sure you stop at such and such place True. and register and to vote because this is going to make the change for us and blah, this and this, that, and the third. And the black church has a long history of doing they that. They had a long history of doing that. So this is not out of, out of reach. Um, as one person said, riot in 1884 equals white folks burning black folks things. Yeah, I mean, it does. But we talking about Edgefield, Tony. Black people was fighting back something severe. This it they were who they were not slouches. None mm. of them, none of them. And they had to get it in in order to make that like. I would not be surprised if this would not, once found out, once finally known and learned of in the media, it may stay a riot. But you can correct me if I'm wrong. I have a feel because a lot of our family is descendants of the white families that enslaved them That's or their right. ancestors. We know how the white people played together. Well, or not, because they were feisty they, among they they were fought feist, each other. They fought each other. So, yeah, we got that blood, We too. got that DNA. So, yeah, when it came to black folks in Edgefield, or I'm going to say the old 96 region, not stepping back and just letting things happen. No, that, no. that wasn't, they weren't wired that way. No, you was that song, We Ain't Never Scared. <laughs> that's them. That's Edgefield. And anybody who comes from there, that, that's where your attitude comes from. And you might get upset that it may come from a white person. But that's actually where it, it it passed down. It dropped. It dropped. Because even South Carolinians, the Southern Charleston South Carolinians, they were not fans of Edgefieldians. I don't think most of the rest of South Carolina was fans of Edgefield. They were not fans of Edgefieldians because when this whole thing finally got into courts, I mean, when I tell you guys, it was a huge... It was so big. There were over 500 articles about this whole situation in the newspaper. And it was so big that the president of the United States during that time was almost involved. He didn't get completely involved, but he was almost involved. But there were state senators that were involved because first it was this whole thing of um, transporting him to South Carolina. And then once they decided, okay, yes, we're going to let you transport him, but you, you got to promise me that he's going to be safe because all he had to come out of his mouth and say, if you let me go with them, I will be dead before we get to the train station. These are the things that he said. So they were like, oh, whoa, hold up, time out. Can't let that happen. So it was just this whole debacle. I mean, it was, it was this whole mess. And then by the time he got there, 
Before he got to do that, the mayor, no, the governor of Pennsylvania sent a message to the governor of South Carolina, who was Governor Richardson at the time. And he told him, listen, if I let him go with y'all, he has to be protected because we don't feel like he's going to be protected. Now, you've gotten all this done. You've proved all this and everything. But I still technically, I don't have to let him go. I don't have to extradite him. You have to make sure that if he's extradited, that he's safe the entire time. And you had to research all of this because South Carolina, the South Carolina kind of court system, legal, legal system, they were saying one thing. Yeah. But Pennsylvania and the governor of Pennsylvania was saying the exact opposite. And you had to spend a long time a researching long time. to so figure out what was true, what, what wasn't, wasn't true. true. Right. And so then by the time we got it, he said once he made that comment and when he made that comment, when the governor of Pennsylvania said what he said to the governor of of um, of where is it? Of South Carolina, Governor Richardson, Governor Richardson responded. South Carolina always does the right thing. OK, so let me tell you all how the journalists, the northern journalists lit in because when they when he said that. They were like, South Carolina always does the right thing. You fired the first shot for the Civil War. You blah, this, that, and the third. You, oh, they, I mean, they went all the way back to the Revolutionary War. They took it back to the Revolutionary War. It was not a game. They were like, South Carolina starts every fight we've ever been in. Y'all don't do what you're supposed to do. You don't listen. You don't pay attention. You don't this. You don't that. You don't, you don't, you don't. That placed South Carolina on the daggone defense, on in, in on court. It so placed them on trial at that point. And it was so bad that the people from Charleston was like, Edgefieldians, shut up. This is going to happen. Don't worry about it. He's going to be safe. We're going to be fine. And he didn't even have to get up and defend himself. There, nope. was, there was no defense for him. They literally just sat back, let them do what they had to do. It came back. And he was found not guilty. Now, I just gave y'all a story in my book. That That is actually a story in my book. And it is the most amazing thing. Now, I won't tell you the rest because there's more. Because then he ends up writing about his story and telling his story. Mm-hmm. Never calling out which plantation he lived on. Never calling out the name John Yeldale. But telling you the story. He didn't even name his former enslaver. No. He just called him Old Master. Old Master. Yes. He didn't even name his parents. Nope. This is why I'm saying to you guys that my family is elusive. They won't do it. They don't tell you. I My Yaledale families will drop out after the second census. They'll be like, oh, I've been here too long. Let me roll. I need to go to another spot. And it wasn't until Brian started researching because I kept complaining, kept complaining. And I'm, and this was before we all we started doing this group thing. I just kept complaining. And then one day Brian was like, let me look at this. And when Brian looked at it, he was like, oh, my God, these people disappear. <laughs> they disappeared. They changed their names. They become that. I, I, and I was like, yep, I told you. It's, not, it's the worst family to research in the world. But in the world, Craig. Before I forget, what is the name of um, Natan's book? The one that has the dark about the um, it's hers. The dark and, corner. It's hers and and Gail Bush's book. Um, mm. we oh, there's put, some there's something about there's something there's about Edgefield. something about Edgefield. You have to read it. So I I mentioned that that book again called There's Something About Edgefield. Just for those of you who are kind of interested in what dying and I've been saying about this this county. This was a very well. There was a lot of money and a lot of power in this part of South Carolina. It was. It was. It gave South Carolina like ten governors. Yeah, ten or eleven of them. Ten. Ten it, governors. It was so violent that the wealthy men found marrying women from any other part of South Carolina yeah. almost impossible. Almost impossible. They weren't. They weren't going to deal with them. They, they. They had their ego was too big and. It was just too much. Too much for those gen- genteel Charlestonians. Yeah, they. It was too much. The, the, those men were. They were crazy. But it's those little enact 
I guess in your stories, it was the, the kind of smaller inaccuracies, but they can still trip you up and they can take you a long, just trying to nail down the date, just the year that that riot happened. Right. Took you a while. It took a, it took it took a, a long while. time. And even with Natan doing the work that she did, because you guys got to understand, buying there's something about Edgefield makes a huge difference. It's a big deal because Natan went into the law side of it. Mm-hmm. So she's a lawyer and she was able to get her hands on certain things that I was unable to. So she helped me as well. And um, but she still wasn't able to get her hands on that portion of, of the stuff. But it was called the dark corner guys it was the dark corner for a reason they literally did certain things because they did not want black people living there and they would do anything by all means necessary you were not going to live there they did whatever it was whatever it took you were not going to live in the dark corner that was a white area it was going to stay a white area and we didn't care who came and what they were going to do about it so Learn about the dark corner. Learning about the dark corner was something huge. And reading there's something about Edgefield gives you all of that. Mm-hmm. It gives you all of that work. And I was going to say in the... Oh, I guess we have a couple more minutes. I was going to say in the kind of closing minutes of the show, when you're reading through especially old newspaper articles, old stories, always do it with a bit of a critical eye. Again, sometimes they can be packed full of genealogical gold. But if you see a discrepancy, that should kind of raise a little raise a little flag, or at least make a note. Well, okay, I'm, I need to do more research on this specific right. thing to understand what's going on. Right. And a lot of people are saying, "I wish I had a researching team." I'm telling you, get you one, <laughs> because when you have somebody that you can sit down with and just hash it out and cuss and scream and is it is a wonder. I am so glad that Brian started researching Yale Dells and then we just connected because if even though we already knew we were family because the Petersons it wasn't the Petersons that pulled us together it was the Yale Dells mm-hmm. it was the Yale Dells that did that and then for Loretta it was the the settles that I stay away from I don't I don't do them and I won't I won't that's her and Hamad's business and and Brian can do it with them if he wants to I just copied that's when I copied the tree and even though you're not supposed to copy a person's tree, I, I'm like, y'all just let me know. I'm not doing it. No, because well, that's you another. Well, you do it with us because we've researched together as a team for so long. You, you, know, you know our working practices. We always have records on our trees. Mm-hmm. I but, sit you know, we, there, but when we're doing the settles, I sit there and I let y'all talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do not do anything. So where does this go again? That's but again, what I do. The other time having a research group, maybe we should do a show about how to form a research group. That that would be a good show. That's a good show. Season um, five. <laughs> one of, you know, something else that we worked on is for about half a day, you and I thought that a half brother and a half sister had had kids oh, because of the names. Jesus. The way that the names were stacking out, I think there was something wrong on someone's death certificate. But we seriously, for a half a day... Until we got Loretta in on that one yeah, too. Yeah, Loretta is awesome, and no, you can't have her. No. Um, yeah, we were like, ew, yeah. no. And it, it was so funny because I was the first person again. They were Yaledales, so of course I'm oh, going to be. Were. Yeah, they were. Yeah, George Washington Yaledale and 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 Rosetta, Rosetta, and I'm sitting there and I'm going through it. And I'm click click click. Wait a minute, click click click. Oh my god. Click, and you phoned me. And I called Brian. I was like, nope, I'm done. Brian, can you look at this, please? And I'm like... Mm. And so he's looking at it. He was like, hold up. Because I saw where you were coming from. Yeah. And they really did seem that that's what the records were It looked like to. siblings. They looked they look like siblings. And then he was like, um, let's call Loretta. <laughs> and so we called Loretta and she she figured it out. She pointed it out. So... Loretta is our is is that yeah. one that's that but I'm gonna tell you why Loretta is so so good at what she does. Loretta's better than Brian and I with Genealogy Bank. Yes. She's way better than us with Genealogy Bank. I don't really use it that much as I a resource. I don't use it at all. Because to me it is not user friendly. No. It's not a user friendly thing. So I don't like Genealogy Bank. But 
Loretta uses it. So that's what prompted me to call her today. Because I was like, hey, somebody died in D.C. You have Genealogy Bank. Can you look it up? And that's what makes Loretta, like, fire. Because she's on on that Genealogy Bank. She can dig into it. And she can find those obituaries, those stories, just everything. I cannot get into Genealogy Bank. But... What tripped us up on that one was someone had the wrong maiden name, or it was a married. We, we thought the maiden. No, there's a, a Rosetta name. and a Rosella. Wrote that was it. That's what it was. That's what that's what tripped it up. One was Rosetta, one was Rosella, and that's what that's our, what made our it family was. did that. Yeah, so like having a William, a Wiley, and a Willie all in the same family. I mean, well, who are we talking about today? <laughs> It was two families, one family, one woman, Emma Zimmerman, Blocker, whatever her name is. She married a man named Oscar Harrison. But when you see them on the 1920 census, there's two Wileys living in the household. Who does that? Or the Walker family did the same thing. Two Ollies. One is um, 1933, one is 1905. Who does that? But there's a reason for that, guys. There's a huge reason for that. So for Ollie, for example, she's somebody else's child. Same thing for the um for the Oscar Harrison, that mm-hmm. other Wiley. He was somebody else's child. But they're listing them as their children. These are things that you need to really, really look out for. Mm-hmm. You have to take your time with it. Which for a family history dynamic is awesome. The fact that they were taking in kids from the wider family, but from a genealogist's point of view, it is a nightmare. It is a nightmare. And then and and in my opinion, that's one of the reasons why I don't believe in the stuff that they say today that black people don't help each other. Because we saw it too much. Mm. We see it mm-hmm. way too much. And someone just lit, someone put up here about them still doing it today at a reunion. They were, I, I, I can't find it. I'm sorry, I can't see the, the, the comment, but it had passed up. And um, they talked about that. And it's just, it's a wonderful thing, but we need to get back to that. We need to get back to helping each other and being there and trusting. Because I'm never going to do anything to harm your child. I'm never going to let anything happen to your child. So don't get mad at me if I snatch a kid out the street just before they get hit. And then you coming to me saying, don't snatch my kid. Okay, well, push it for You know, <laughs> almost cursed. <laughs> I caught it. I caught it. But, you know, push him back out there so he can go in and get hit when all I was doing was trying to save your child's life. I'll die before your kid does. You know, that's my thought process. So we need to, we need to get back to that. We need to understand that, no, black people didn't stab each other in the back like we were believing that they did. They didn't. Mm-hmm. We see it. We, we we follow it. Again, like we said yesterday, we're not living in the past. We're trying to get you to understand the past so that you don't make, so that you make your future better. That's what that's yeah. about. And in the closing minutes of the show, so we have two, a couple of very different examples. Um, the one that I started with was in a league all of its own. Yeah. But what I was hoping that I conveyed to you was there are ways to be able to unpick a news story to figure out what is true, what wasn't true, and to just really look at stories with a critical eye and then think of resources right. and information sources that you can use to either prove or disprove parts of a story. Exactly. For you, with John Yeldell, John Yeldell a.k.a. Elijah Fleming, you knew that you had to sort out the date that that riot happened. Not just that the date led... that the riot happened, but also who he was. If, who he, if was. he was that, that same person. Yeah. Which yeah. made you sit down and think about, well, the only way I can prove or disprove this is looking at this, this, going here, going there, asking about this. Right. So it may seem like an overwhelming process, but if you really break these stories down into their constituent parts, hopefully that makes it a much easier task. We are out of time. Yes. Thank you so much for spending our hour with us. We hope this is um, giving you some new uh, new insights into how to do, re- how to do research. Exactly. And get you a research team. Get you a research team. Get you Honestly. a research team. It's, it's, it's so much better. We're going to do a show on that. Yeah, we are. 
We promise we're we going to do a show. We're going to do a show on getting a research team because it, it, it means a lot. Yeah. So with that said, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. My name's Brian. And I'm Donya. You guys have a great, great day. See you next week. Stay cool. <laughs>